I'm often asked what I would say to a woman who wanted to improve her safety if I only had 45 minutes to an hour. And that's not a lot of time to really dig into a subject that is so important. But there are actually quite a few things that I would share if I only had that amount of time. And I thought that it would be kind of fun today to share on this episode what I think are the most essential things that a woman needs to know in order to take her safety into her own hands and not look to somebody else to ride into the rescue to save her if things go south. So that's what today's episode is all about. It's how to be responsible for your own safety and the most essential things for you to know and understand about keeping yourself safe. Here we go. Welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast, the show that tackles the subject of women and violence head on and shines the light of what women need to know and do to be safe. Here's your host, fourth degree black belt and self-protection expert, Cynthia Gillicourt. Welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia Jolicoeur, and today I'm going to share with you three ways that you can take your safety into your own hands. Instead of waiting for some knight in shining armor to ride into the rescue, because the chances are when you need one, there's not one around, and if they do show up, they might not actually be exactly what you need, so... Better for you to be your own knight in shining armor and have the power in your own hands. Let's start with understanding the why behind your survival. This is a really important piece of preparing yourself mentally and emotionally. Because if you don't understand why it matters that you survive, it can be really hard to get yourself to take action. Let's start by talking about where you actually get hit first in an encounter. Most of the time when I ask people this question, what they say is, I'm going to get punched or my hair is going to get pulled. And that may be the physical thing that happens. But the first impact to you is actually in your emotions. So it is your emotional being that gets shocked first. And you have to learn and be prepared to deal with that initial oh shit moment because that's where it all kicks off. So when you have that moment, when something happens and you're taken by surprise, you're startled, you're shocked, you're probably going to get a fear spike and you're going to do one of three things. Everybody's heard fight, flight, or freeze. And that's actually not the normal pattern. If you look out in nature at what animals do, and of course we're animals too, so we kind of do the same thing. The very first response to danger is to freeze. Think about the deer out in the forest. Like if there's a fawn in the forest and there's a coyote going by or a wolf or something like that, that fawn is not going to fight and it's not going to run. Not first. It's just going to go dead still and hope that it doesn't get noticed. And same thing for us. Like The first thing we tend to do is to freeze. And there's lots of different kinds of freezes and many different ways to get out of them. I go into all of that stuff in the prep school, and today I'm going to give you the tools that you need to start to get out of that freeze. So what we typically do is we freeze first, and if that doesn't work, then we run. So that's the flight part. 
And if we can't get away that way, our last option is turning to fight. So today I'm going to share with you one of the first things that you can do that will help you get out of a freeze moment. Because freezing may be a good tactic for a fawn out in the woods, but it's not necessarily going to get us to safety. So we want to be able to break out of a freeze. And I'm going to tell you one of the most powerful things that you can do ahead of time that will facilitate you getting out of a freeze. So that is knowing what your personal reason to survive is. Now, what does that mean, your personal reason to survive? Well, number one, that is something that is specific to you. Your reason is yours, mine is mine, and you knowing mine isn't really going to help you do anything. But if you can get in touch with what is really important to you, that's a powerful motivator and it can be a trigger that will get you into action. So your reason to survive has to be something that is personal to you. It has to be something that is present in your life now. So can't really be something in the past or something in the far off future. It has to be something that is present in your life right now. And it has to be something that you're really passionate about, that you absolutely care about. Let me give you a couple of examples to get the ball rolling so you can start to think about what your personal reason to survive a dangerous or violent encounter might be. For many years, mine was my mother. And that was a great, great personal reason to survive for me for actually almost a decade. But when she died, I had to reevaluate and go, okay, well, I'm I'm no longer motivated to be here so that I can look after her and make sure that the end of her life is great. What's my next most important motivation? And I didn't have to look far because it's still within my family. I have four children and my younger two are still not quite fully launched, self-sufficient, independent young adults yet. They're super close, but they're not there yet. And they need still some of mom's support and guidance and help. And if I disappeared and they never figured out where I was, or if I were killed, or if I were hospitalized for the rest of my life, the impact on them would be that I would not be present to provide the kind of loving care and support and compassionate guidance that I have been so far. And I'm not willing to make them pay that price. It's really important for me for two things. One is to actually be here to provide that for them. And on a more personal level, to be around when they actually do reach that point where they are full-on, self-sufficient, out in the world doing their thing, adults. Because I can't wait to see what they get up to once they're really up and running. So that is my current personal reason to survive. Yours might be something like, well, I'm just starting out in life. I haven't really done what I'm here to do yet, but I know that I have a lot to accomplish and I want to explore the world or I really want to make an impact on the planet. And if my story ends now, that doesn't happen. Yours might be something like, I have children who need me as a caretaker and a role model. That's mine. You know, that's an element of mine. You might have something along the lines of, gosh, you know, I haven't found my soulmate. I haven't found my life partner yet. And 
I really want to do that. I want to find that person. I want to build a family and, and have a life with my partner. That's a powerful reason to want to get through something. Your motivation may be that you have a loved one, a beloved partner, a boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, and if you don't make it, they're never going to hear you say, I love you again. You need to think about what your personal reason to survive is. As time passes, things are going to change in your life, just like happened with me once my mother finally reached the end of her life and I had to reevaluate. You're going to go through different stages of life. Things are going to shift and change. And you want your personal reason to survive, to stay very alive and present and relevant. So you're going to need to reevaluate it over time and maybe shift it or change it like I did. If you're having a little bit of trouble figuring out what exactly your personal reason to survive is, and for some people, it just pops right into their head. Other people take some pondering, maybe even take sleeping on it a night or two. But there's another way to look at it that might make it a little bit easier to pinpoint why it really matters that you survive something. So I'm going to give you a little different avenue to enter into this. That is to think about what it might cost you and what it might cost those who care about you if you're not prepared and you don't know what to do and you don't take action to get out of the situation and get safe. So for example, many people, when I ask them, like, what could it cost you if you're assaulted and you don't know what to do? Or what could it cost you if you're confronted by somebody who tries to abduct you and you don't resist? And it's super easy for people to say, I might get killed. I might die. And yes, that's true. That is one of the potential consequences. I maybe have kind of a ghoulish sense of humor. I don't know. But to me, that's not the worst thing that could happen. So I want to encourage you to think about other things that might unfold that could really put an incredible toll or a cost on your family, on your friends, on your coworkers, on all those people who will be left if you don't get to safety. So one of those things might be that you just disappear and nobody knows where you are or what happened to you, if you're still alive, if you died, if you just decided to run off. Leaving your family and your friends in that state of not knowing can be excruciatingly painful and can wreak an incredible toll on them. So that's one option. Another cost might be that you suffer through some sort of an assault or torture or even confinement, imprisonment, and eventually do escape, but you are incredibly wounded physically, emotionally, psychologically after having gone through that. And you end up having to deal with all of the aftermath from that. And so do all of the people who care about you. That's another potential cost. Another one might be that you actually don't disappear, but you undergo an assault or an attack that leaves you very physically harmed, possibly even in a coma in a hospital, maybe for the rest of your life. And that can have not just emotional costs and psychological costs, but massive financial costs to your family to try to maintain that. 
And the cost to you in all of this is that you may not get to see your children grow up and graduate from high school or college or find their life partner and create a family. You might not get to meet grandchildren. You might not get to see your beloved partner again. You might not get to be there for your parents as they go through the ends of their lives. So those kinds of situations can have a cost to you and they can have a cost to the people who care about you. This is why it's so important that you identify what your personal reason to survive is. That's about all I'm going to share with you right now about finding out what your personal reason to survive is. We really dive deep into this in the Born to be a Badass prep school. I have a pretty substantial module that really helps to dig into this and come up with ways to start to use it. But for now, I'm going to talk about a little bit of mental and emotional preparation that can help you break out of a freeze. So here's the thing. If you know that it's important for you to survive and that there will be consequences if you don't, then when you encounter danger, you are going to be able to make decisions with more clarity. Many people who encounter danger let their egos take the lead and adopt the attitude of, well, I shouldn't have to change and walk on the other side of the street. It's a perfectly good public street. I should be able to use it. Or, well, I'm right. I shouldn't have to explain myself or I shouldn't have to apologize to somebody because I'm in the right. They're in the wrong. Sometimes people have a thought of, oh, nothing could happen to me out here. You know, I know it feels a little bit sketchy, but it's a well-populated area. There's other cars in the lot. What could possibly happen? And just dismiss that warning sign of a bad feeling. But if you know that your life matters, that you matter, that you are a VIP, a very important person to many people on the planet, and if you value your own self, then you'll make different choices. You may just say, hey, I'm just going to go back into the grocery store and ask for an escort out to my car because it just feels kind of sketchy going out there right now. You might say, I don't really care which side of the street I walk on and if this is uncomfortable or there's people on this side that are just giving off that vibe that I don't really want to have to engage with them, then you can cross to the other side and it's not a hit to your ego. It doesn't mean that you're a scaredy cat or you're weak. It just means that you're thinking smart because your goal is to get to safety. Same thing with getting in an encounter with somebody who is verbally berating you or who's accusing you of something that's just not true, do you have to stay there and engage in a verbal confrontation or a physical confrontation with people? No, you don't have to stay there. And if your goal is to prove that you're right, you're going to stay there and you're going to engage with them and who knows what's going to happen. But if you know why you want to stay safe and why you want to live another day, then you can set aside that ego-driven decision-making and say, you know what, my goal is to be safe and my goal is to be here 
so that I can help my children continue to get launched or so that I can see my daughter graduate from high school or whatever your reason is, then you can just say, I'm not going to engage with this. If I need to de-escalate it or make a tactical apology or just say, yeah, you know, you're right, so that I can walk away safely, you can do that. And what allows you the freedom to do that is prioritizing yourself over being right. That's what you need to know about creating your own personal reason to survive and understanding what it can cost you if you're not prepared and you don't take action when you have to. So today I'm going to share four different ways that you can avoid danger. The first thing is that there are five kinds of places that are typically quite dangerous to be in, especially if you're a woman. Thinking about what your goal is. Your goal is not to prove what a badass you are and not to prove that you're right or that somebody else is wrong. Your goal is to get to safety. Bear in mind these places that you should definitely think twice about going or prepare in some way to be. The first one is any place that young men gather in groups. It doesn't really matter what kind of group, but any place where there are groups of young men hanging out together is a place that there could be something going on. And I'm not implying at all that young men are intrinsically dangerous. But we do know that there are dynamics that happen in groups and that men have a little different need to prove their masculinity and to keep their status in the group or demonstrate their status to a group. And sometimes that motivates behavior on their part that can be very detrimental for us as women. Thinking about places where young men typically gather in groups. One example clearly is bars, but there are many others. The second place to be aware of is places where minds are being altered. Those are generally substances. It could be places where there's alcohol, like in a bar, but also places where people are using substances that alter their minds and their physiology. There are also places where minds are being altered because there's a lot of psychological persuasion and manipulation happening. There are a couple of different flavors to that, but anywhere where people are not actually in their right minds, where their rational thinking brains are not super engaged or not processing normally, those are places that can be quite dangerous to go. Another place to think about is a place where territory is in dispute. Now, clearly, that can be an actual like physical territory, right? It can be an actual physical place, a boundary, a neighborhood, a section of a city. And obviously, it can be like a border between countries. So those are clearly places where territory is being disputed. It can also be something that is not that tangible. So, for example, territory in terms of sports teams. And again, here's men gathering, but it's not always men when it has to do with sport teams. People get super passionate about that and super affiliated with their team and tend to vilify and other people who are associated with another team. There can quite often be violence that overflows from that. 
I think you've probably heard about some of the soccer brawls that happen in Europe. That's a good example of that. But also political events where there are two different sides and there's a lot of back and forth and dispute between the two. Outside of a Planned Parenthood is another area where there is dispute happening around that territory about whether you should or you shouldn't be allowed in and you should and shouldn't be able to get into a place like that. So those are some examples. Here's one that I had never really thought about until I started working with Rory Miller. And when I learned about it, my mind was blown and I went, of course, how come I didn't understand this? And that is a place where you don't know what the rules are can be a very dangerous place to go. One way that we see this happening is, for example, in tourists who go abroad and assume that the values and the rules and the ways of being that they are familiar with from their home country apply in the place that they're visiting. That can cause some major issues and can be quite dangerous. Another example of that is sort of the classic college kids stumbling into a biker bar scenario. I actually have not been in a legit biker bar, but I know people who are bikers. My husband actually rides a Harley. He doesn't go in the true hardcore biker bars. And I personally would not be comfortable going in them because I know that I don't understand what the dynamics are. And I'm pretty sure that the rules about what is acceptable for women in a place like that are things that I don't actually know and I'm sure I wouldn't be comfortable with. So that's another example. Also, folks who go into a local pub, for example, but who are not locals can get into a lot of trouble just not understanding what is okay and what is not okay, what you can do and what you can't do. And that can lead to some pretty negative consequences as well. The fifth and final place to think about is one that's fairly obvious. And I think a lot of women just unconsciously know this, and that's going to isolated places, especially ones that are dark. Those are primo territories for predators and criminals to hang out. And if you happen to go into them, you are setting yourself up for a potential problem. So remember, choosing safety is not about being right. It's not about proving that you have the right to do something or that you can kick anybody's ass if you want to. Choosing safety is getting your ego out of it and saying, what do I need to do right now so that I can be safe? Step number one is understanding a little bit about dangerous places to be. The second thing you can do to help you avoid danger is to start to understand the mind of the predators and the criminals, to start to get an understanding of how they think, how they choose potential targets, and to learn some things that will help you recognize the ways that they actually work. So one assumption that a lot of women make, and I totally get why they do, because in my younger days, I did it too, the assumption is, I'm a good person. Like, I would never put a knife to somebody's throat. I would never grab somebody by the hair 
and cut off a chunk of it and threaten them and tell them the next thing, you know, if you don't comply is going to be your throat. Just because I wouldn't do that and I can't think of it doesn't mean that the predators are the same. They live by totally different values and rules and they can envision and do a lot of things that good people like us would never in a million years even imagine, let alone think to do to another human being. So you have to be very careful not to assume or to impute to another person that they have the same values and rules that you do because they don't. Criminals and predators can see you in different ways and it depends really on what's motivating them. So somebody who is trying to stay alive, just trying to survive, sees you as a resource. They see you as something to use to get what they need. They may also see you as a means of accomplishing something that they need to do. How those people interact with us, I mean, they don't really see us as people. They don't see us as human beings. They don't really care about us as as human beings. They just want what we have that they need. That can range, you know, anywhere from a pickpocket to a person who is accosting you on the street because they're desperate to get money for drugs and on up. So their motivation is to get access to you and your resources because they need them or they think that they need those resources. The classic, what we call the apex predator, is somebody who is really more interested in the process. They have some sort of a process, a thing that they want to do, and an experience that they want to have. And you just happen to be the toy that they get to use, the thing they get to use in order to actualize that. So... They don't see you as a person either. That's why this kind of behavior is called asocial. It has nothing to do with normal social interactions whatsoever. They strictly want you because you are something that they can use in order to carry out whatever process or experience it is that they want. And so the weird thing about these dudes, mostly dudes, is that Sometimes like their picture, their thing they want to have happen is really weird. And you may think like, well, I would never be a victim of that. But if you happen to be their particular thing that they like to play with, you could be one of the victims of that. So for all I know, there is some weird predator out there who has a thing for women who are in their 50s who have longish hair and bangs who are maybe uh, driving big trucks and that could set me up to be a perfect target for them. I have no way of knowing that and there's really nothing I can do to prevent that because I'm not in charge of their script. These do see you as something that they can use to enact whatever sick story it is that motivates them. Here's the thing is Predators are super, super good manipulators. They have a bunch of tips and tools and tricks that they use in order to get you to do 
what it is they want you to do so that they can get you into a situation where they have control over you. And you actually can learn how to identify and manipulate their manipulations. It's really important for you to understand who the predators are, how they identify the potential victims, and what the warning signs are that they're actually using these manipulations on you. So learning what those things are is super uncomfortable, but it's very helpful. It's really the only way that you can arm yourself against them. There's a great book that is a really good introduction to some of these signs called The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker, and I highly recommend that if you want to do a little outside reading. That's the second thing that you need to know in order to avoid dangerous situations. The third thing is to trust that gut instinct and to learn to spot the warning signs in your own body when there is danger present. This is one of the most important aspects of intrinsic self-defense. This is understanding that your body and your brain are hardwired to protect you. You have landed on the planet with some awesome skills and abilities to help keep you safe. The really sucky thing is that we tend to get kind of domesticated and not pay attention to them. So if you've ever gotten a bad feeling about a person or a situation, it may be something that you absolutely couldn't quite pinpoint what it was, but something was just off. Something didn't feel right. Something was just uncomfortable. That is your intuition. That is your reptilian brain actually giving you a little heads up warning sign that there's something here that can be dangerous. Like we need to pay attention and get more alert. We're the only creatures on the planet that can get that feeling and just dismiss it or rationalize it away. I mean, think about it. If you were out on the savannah and you were a gazelle with a herd and you saw a lion going by, you would not go, oh, he's so handsome. He probably just ate. He's not interested in me. Life's good. I'm fine. You would see that lion going by on the savannah and go, holy crap, there's a lion. I'm getting out of here. Human beings are super good at not paying attention and saying things like, oh, but it's broad daylight outside. Nothing can happen right now. Or, you know, this is my sister's boyfriend. He would never do anything to me. So our job, if we want to be safe, is to relearn how to recognize when we're getting those warning signs and to trust them and to take action based on them. So remember that feeling that bad feeling, getting a little bit afraid is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a gift that helps us recognize when danger is present. And there's no downside whatsoever to taking action when you get that skeevy kind of feeling. I mean, the worst case is you're safe. But if you dismiss it and you talk yourself out of honoring that feeling, then you can actually end up losing a lot, including your life. Situational awareness is absolutely essential. And it's a lot more than just keeping your phone in your pocket and not in front of your face. There's a whole lot to situational awareness that we dive into in the prep school. And I just want you to understand that it has to do with not just what's going on around you, but also what's going on inside you, in your mind. 
And that's, that's what intuition and instincts and listening to a bad feeling are part of. The fourth thing that will help you avoid being in bad situations is understanding some of the dynamics of what happens in a conflict situation and understanding a little bit about communication. So a thing number one to understand is that men and women tend to process adrenaline very differently. Guys typically amp up super fast, like they up they go, and they actually come down from that fairly quickly. It's very hard to sustain a very high level of arousal like that unless somebody is continuing to feed you stuff that keeps you amped up. And women tend to be sort of slow burners, slow burners who eventually go up and up and up, and then they hit a high level of just, and can stay there for a heck of a long time. And why does this matter to you? Well, a couple of things. Clearly, it's super helpful if you happen to be in relationship or have guys in your life. I mean, I got two sons and a husband, so it's super handy for me understanding when we get into conflicts. But when you're dealing with a violent, aggressive man and he's gone boom, if there's a way for you to talk with him, to just spread the time out a little bit, then the odds are good that he's going to hit that peak of arousal and aggression and start to come down. And Coach Tony Blower has a little saying that I think really nails it right on the head, which is those who can be persuaded to talk can often be persuaded to walk away. That is something that you need to know. Another thing is, as I mentioned, that predators are super good manipulators. If you can learn some of the things that they do in order to manipulate you, you can actually use those same things to manipulate them. So one element of that is predators will often try to create a connection. Well, they always pretty much try to create a connection with you. And there are different ways that they can do it. But one thing that works super well is to find things that you have in common. That is something that we can do with them. What are things that you might have in common? Well, you have to be observant. You have to look at them. You have to use the kind of information that's coming in. And it might be you both like the same sports team, or you both like to eat Italian food, or you both grew up in Oklahoma. If you can find some sort of common ground, then That is the beginning of helping them to start to see you as a human being, as opposed to a resource or a toy or just a thing to get used. And that's a good thing. That's just one example. There are several other things that predators do that we can actually do as well and sort of flip them around so that we can use that as part of our de-escalation. I mentioned earlier about a tactical apology. And this is something where it's an apology that's not really an apology. It's not, I'm sorry that I did something wrong. It's, I'm sorry for the impact that it's had on you. And here's where it's actually super handy is, for example, you're in a parking space or you've come to the grocery store and you pulled into an empty parking space. And when you get out of your car, there's a guy who is stopped his car right behind yours and he's coming towards you just yelling 
and accusing you of taking his space and calling you a bitch for zooming in there super fast when you should have known he was going to turn in there and like he always parks there and how dare you park in his space. What are you going to do there? Well, you have a couple choices. You know, you can get back in his face and say, what the hell are you talking about? You know, these are all free parking spaces. I have as much right to this space as you. And you're off to the races, right? You're, you're in a conflict that could just go boom. But you also, if you're willing to prioritize your safety and recognize that there is a potential for this situation to go really, really bad, you can also say, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that you were right there. I'm so sorry. I wish I had known you know, not to pull in here. Just give me just a second and I'll back out so you can have the space. I'm really, really sorry. I'm sorry that, that this upset you and here, have your space. Now, you may be thinking inside what an asshole this guy is and how dare he tell me that this is his personal parking space because everybody knows it's a public parking lot. You may be thinking that, but you have to set that aside and say, what is my goal? My goal is to get to safety. Is there a way that I can apologize and smooth things over and give him what he wants and keep myself safe just by doing something verbal like that? That's using a tactical apology. Another really cool thing about dealing with people in a situation like this is that you don't have to be you. You don't have to act like you. You can play whatever role and put on whatever persona you think is appropriate for the situation that may work. For example, something that I might be able to use in a particular situation with a particular person might be sort of a school marmy attitude. I could sort of channel my inner school teacher and interact with that person as if they were a student. I might be able to put on sort of the wise old elder grandmotherly role or the motherly role. That's actually a super easy one for me to put on is the motherly role and to be solicitous and helpful. So there are all kinds of things that you can do. You can put on whatever role, play whatever part you need to in order to get to safety. That means For example, for me, I am a scrupulously honest person. Integrity is my number one value. And if I'm in a situation where lying my ass off is the smartest thing to do, you betcha I'm going to do it. Those are four things that you need to know so that you can avoid things really going south. So if you recall, the very first one is knowing the five different places that are quite dangerous to go. The second one is understanding the mind of a predator and what motivates them, how they choose their victims. The third is trusting that gut instinct, that bad feeling that your reptilian brain will give you as a warning sign when danger is present. And the fourth is a little bit how you can act and behave and manage an interaction with somebody to talk them down and hopefully save your life or keep yourself safe. The most common complaint that I hear from women when I talk to them about personal safety 
is that they often feel unsafe and they really resent the need to be constantly vigilant. They don't know how to deal with uncomfortable situations and they believe that they are too small or too weak to defend themselves physically if they have to. What they're really after is the freedom to walk around and to feel safe and to have more confidence in their ability to get away if something happens. That is why I created the Born to be a Badass Prep School, the self-protection course that teaches you everything that you should have been taught about how to be safe in the world when you were growing up, but probably weren't. The Prep School is an online program where you will change your mindset and learn how to make the most of your innate abilities to protect yourself. You'll learn what to look for and how to recognize potential dangers, what to do in bad situations, and how to manage fear. You'll discover how to tap into your body's natural protective skills if you have to fight, and how to deal with the aftermath of an incident. Not only is this a virtual program that you can do from anywhere at any time, you get lifetime access to the content, access to my private support group, and a gift certificate to use towards one of my live hands-on training events that builds upon the prep school curriculum. So if you're ready to take your personal safety into your own hands and to develop self-confidence and be able to go where you want to go and do what you want to do with a sense of freedom, get yourself over to my website, cynthiajolacro.com slash prep school to learn more and to register for an upcoming session. As a listener to the Born to be a Badass podcast, you will save more than 60% on your enrollment by entering the code podcast when you register. Before we dive into the physical things, let's just deal with the question about whether or not you are allowed to use physical force to protect yourself. If you believe that there is an imminent threat to you or to somebody nearby, and that threat is one of being injured or killed, then you can use whatever level of force is necessary to get safe. Many women are not even sure that they can fight physically if their attacker is bigger and stronger. And let's face it, if a dude is going to attack us, most of the time they are going to be bigger and stronger than we are. Not always, but it's pretty common. When women worry about, oh, I'm not big enough or I'm not strong enough, the thing is they're thinking about it like a competition, as if we were going into some sort of a bench press competition or a game like a badminton game or something where like strength and size and speed and all of that actually makes a difference. Even some women think of it as like a boxing match. And, you know, in boxing, they have weight classes. And that's because you know, size really does matter in that kind of a competitive environment. But if we're being assaulted or attacked, we're not in a competition and the rules are different. And guess what? As a woman here on the planet, you have got a ton of tools and skills that are built into you because you're a human being. The first thing that you have to do, though, is give yourself permission to do whatever it takes to get yourself safe. That might mean disabling your attacker. It might mean rendering them unconscious. 
and it might mean ending their life. But the thing is, if this is a life or death situation, you need to do whatever it takes to be safe. And remember, when we talked about what difference does it make if you live or die? What's your reason to survive something? Remember what it could cost you if you don't prevail. Give yourself permission to do anything, to be rude, to be called bitchy, and to actually hurt another human being. It's a hard line to cross if you're not mentally and emotionally prepared and you don't know why you need to. Now, let's dive into the physical parts. Step number one is to remember that your body is designed to protect you. You can trust your physical responses to situations where danger is present. Your brain and your body are actually hardwired to protect you. So we have a reptilian brain, sometimes called the hindbrain or part of the limbic system, and it has just one job. That job is to keep us safe. When danger is present, that is the part of our brain that leaps into action and actually takes over. So our cognitive brains just can't catch up for a while and get bypassed by our inborn reptilian brain's response. We talked about how you might get a bad feeling when something dangerous is in your environment, and that is your primal brain giving you an early warning. So here's what happens when there is an attack or a stimulus that comes really quickly. What happens when you get startled or attacked, your body's natural reflexes will cause you to flinch in the direction of wherever the threat is coming from. So if it's in front of you, you're going to flinch here. If it's coming down low, it's down there. You're going to respond to wherever the stimulus is coming. And what we do is we'll bring our hands between us and the threat. And especially if it's coming towards our heads, we'll protect our brains. We'll do that flinch of some sort in whatever direction the threat is coming, and then we'll try to push away danger. That is our hardwired natural response. We call that actually the human airbag or the organic airbag because this reflex deploys so fast. It's actually faster than a car's airbag deploys, if you can believe that. It's super, super fast, and it's not something that we can interrupt or prevent. It's going to happen. Now, in super trained people like Navy SEALs and law enforcement officers who have been through a lot of stress inoculation and scenario-based training, their flinches may be a little bit smaller and not quite so visible, but they still have it. And remember, when we talked about where we get impacted first, it's in our emotional. So we'll have an emotional flinch too. This airbag, this deployment of this protective system is something that we can count on. It is going to be there. It's always going to be there. What happens after that initial kind of a moment? Well, the cognitive brain is trying to get back in gear and catch up to the action and understand what's going on. So once our reptilian brain has done its job initially, then our cognitive brain is kind of catching up to the program and starting to get what's happening. And that cognitive brain is the part that actually allows you to think and to plan and to do complex motor skill types of things. So whether that's getting your key into a lock 
or pulling pepper spray out of a purse or using a martial art technique. Those are all in the realm of the cognitive brain. And what we need is we need to weather that initial ambush moment where our reptilian brain is going to do its best to protect us and then get our cognitive brain back in gear and start coming up with a plan of what to do. Just remember, that part of your brain is not what's in charge in that initial oh shit moment. Once you've weathered those initial moments, thanks to your body's natural defense systems, your body gives you an amazing set of tools that you can use to fight. And there's a reason for that expression that you've probably heard about people fighting tooth and nail. In the prep school, we go into a lot of detail about our human weapon system and what our tools are and what the targets are on our attacker and how we can apply those tools to targets. Today, I'm going to share the basics so that you can start to use them right away. Think about what is on your body that you could use as a tool. I like to start with hands because we've all pretty much got them. And we can do incredible things with our fingers. We can scratch. We can pinch. We can gouge. We can poke. There's all kinds of things we can do with our fingers. Fingers are great to use. If you move down from the fingers, we've got forearms, and these nice forearm bones right here are great to use as a battering ram. They're awesome if you can get them up against a really soft target like a throat. Similarly, on the other end of the body, we have feet. Now, we can't do stuff with our toes typically the same way we can with our hands, but with our feet, we can certainly stomp. We can kick. We can, if we have high heels on, we can grind that stiletto into somebody. So feet are pretty good to use too. Same as forearm bones, we have shin bones. Those can be great to use swinging them like a baseball bat at something. We have elbows, one of my favorite things to use. I love elbows. And apparently, even as a kid, I was pretty obnoxious because I would sit on my cousin's lap and just grind my elbow right into their leg or something and cause a lot of pain, usually because they were picking on me. Elbows are great. You can grind them into things if you use them to actually strike somebody with them. You don't have to hit very hard to cause a lot of damage. So elbows are awesome to use, as are their little companions down lower, your knees. Those are super great things, too. I think every woman's favorite move to think about using is the old knee to the balls. And if you can actually pull it off, it's a great tool. So knees are great to use as well. Forearms, shins, elbows, knees, hands, and feet, those are your primary tools. Now, there's, there's more, and there's different ways to use them, clearly. So let's just think about where you can apply these tools. Visualize somebody who's attacking you. Well, number one, they're a human being just like you. They've got targets just like you do. Start perhaps at the top of the body and think about what's kind of up here that you could attack. Well, eyes, clearly. Gouging eyes, scratching eyes, poking eyes, anything that causes pain and a loss of vision is going to make them think about that and not about you. There's things on the side of the neck and the back of the head where if you can get a good impact on them, you can knock people out. You can actually even kill them. There's noses that you can smash. There's things you can do with the mouth that are a little more advanced. <laughs> I'm not going to teach those today, but there are all kinds of things you can do. You just have to be careful not to get bitten. There's all this stuff going on up here. There's the throat. There's the trachea. 
if you impact that, you can kill somebody by nailing that because they end up not being able to breathe. It takes a while, but it can definitely hurt them. And a little side note, working with women who have been in situations of intimate partner abuse, for women who get choked, which is a really common attack, a common assault on domestic violence victims, sometimes what happens is they'll get choked in an incident, but not to death. They'll just, they'll get choked. And the actual time that it takes to kill them can be a matter of hours, if not days. So it's a really, really dangerous thing to go after somebody's throat and it can be very deadly. So we've got head, we've got soft tissue things. There's all the internal organs, including the bladder, which is a really, that's a cool one to pop. There's obviously soft tissue like the genitals that you can go after. There are bones that you can also think about impacting. And a good impact on a bone that breaks it can be quite disabling. Uh, Break a collarbone, break an ankle, break a leg, break an arm. It's going to make that attacker have something else to deal with. It may not, you know, if you break an arm, that may not stop them. So there's all different kinds of things that you can apply your tools to on your attacker in order to get the result that you need, which is to render them either disabled, unconscious, or dead so that you can get to safety. What the most important thing is in using these tools on targets is not getting into the mindset that there is a right way and a wrong way to do it, or that there's a right target to use. And that if you go after something else, somehow you're doing it wrong. That's utter nonsense. A better way to think about it is find the closest target that you can and apply whatever closest weapon you have to that with as much force and power and intention as you can. Closest weapon, closest target, as much force as you can. Now, how hard do you have to go? A lot of women have said to me, well, what if I do something and it just makes him matter? Well, I would say if it's just making him more annoyed or angry, then you didn't do it hard enough. And that's a sign that you need to amp it up and put more into it because you're going to (laughs) lose. You're in the mode of losing if you're just being annoying. You want to be causing pain and catastrophic injury. How hard do you have to go? Well, it depends on what impact you're actually having. If you're losing and you're not having an effect and you're still taking damage, then you need to do more. Tap into that mama bear energy. Tap into your Wonder Woman power. Tap into that warrior queen spirit and use it. You have what you need. You just have to use it. When your life is on the line, you absolutely positively cannot hold back. Put all your power into what you do and don't stop until that threat is no longer a threat. Here's the thing. You didn't ask for this to happen. You didn't start it. It's not your fault. The person who attacked you chose to do it. They chose to lay hands on you. They chose to use force on you. 
And their actions are actually what determine how much force you need to use to get to safety. A person who has made the decision is them. You were not the one that started it, but you can definitely finish it. Will you give yourself permission to use your power and to use your tools to preserve your life, protect yourself? I hope that you're starting to feel confident in your own abilities and in your ability to be your own knight in shining armor and to not feel the need to have somebody else ride to your rescue. Stay safe and be a badass. You've been listening to the Born to be a Badass podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode and be sure to share it with your friends. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and a review. Tune in regularly for more exciting insights and wisdom on women, violence, and safety. And until next time, embrace your inner badass.